0: You're tuned in to the MBIT Podcast, led by Seamus Medan, economic and financial topics broken down, educating you on your financial journey.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the MBIT Podcast, which we discuss personal finance, tech, and entrepreneurship. Today we whipped up a wonderful episode for you guys. We have a very special guest, Scott DeClary. Uh, joins us to talk about his number one business education podcast and his journey as an entrepreneur. So first off, thank you, Scott, for taking the time to hop on the pod. How are you doing today? I
0: am doing great. It is a, a Friday afternoon. It was a, good, it was a busy week, but it was a good week. And uh, I, I just ruined your evergreen content. I apologize, but I'm very happy that I'm here. So thank you for having me on.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you taking time to be on the pod. I know here on the East Coast, it's uh, quite abnormally warm um, for this time of the year, but... Um, anyway, so first off, uh, tell the audience a little bit about you, your background, and what inspired you to create your business education podcast. Sure.
0: Um, so my background, my background has always been in sales and marketing, um, usually in tech, uh, which is interesting because right now I do have a nine to five. I actually am CEO of a company, which I actually, at the time of recording, I just joined up with this company about five weeks ago. So very fresh, but it's actually not a tech company. It's uh, a, it's basically a CPG uh, health and wellness company. That's a whole other conversation. But so most of my time and most of my career has been in tech, in sales and marketing. I uh, have s- sold from, you know, like, smallest SMB, like mom and pop shops, all the way through to Fortune 500. Um, Over my career, uh, I did not mean to get into tech. I always thought I would go into policing or law. That's where most of my family is. All my family are cops, actually. Um, But I always found uh, I had a really great knack for understanding the nuances of tech. I started off in sales really early on made a ton of great money and I kind of got hooked on it and I sort of said to myself um let's see what this career does for me let's see where I can take it and I found that when I started off in sales and tech I was exceeding numbers moving to like new like larger markets every single year I was getting uh, promotions in in the company that I was working at um, moved into sales leadership and and then sales and marketing leadership. So I kept sort of like upgrading year after year, and I was doing very well. So I figured I had a knack for sales. Um, I had a knack for tech. Um, I also started to understand marketing. That was sort of like a a self-study because I really understood when I started to get into leadership positions that if you wanted to be the most effective for an organization, and at the time my goal was to be like a CRO or like a VP sales or VP marketing at a Fortune 500, if you wanted to be effective, it was a really good idea to really have an understanding of what drives revenue for a company so all things sales all things marketing that's what I dove into um, for a while I left working for somebody and was an entrepreneur uh, for the first time rather and tried to do consulting work as like an outsourced CXO for a whole bunch of startups a lot of fun but then I found one that I signed up uh, signed up for full-time as CRO uh, just because the consulting work is very hard. If anybody's ever done it, um, you know you do your you do your hours with a company throughout the day, and then you have to go build your brand and your business, and you have to do some prospecting and finding new clients after your 40 hours in a week. So it's difficult. So I um I signed up with company a company full time as CRO, also a SaaS company. Uh, grew them to exit. So that was sort of my my last big career win while I was working at that company, um, I started to build my own personal brand, which is where the podcast came from, which is where all the social stuff that I post comes from. It was not, it was not really focused on the company at all. I just knew that wherever I ended up or landed in life, I wanted to have a strong personal brand. And I figured why not start a personal brand that has something to do with what I'm doing in my nine to five. Like if I'm You know, selling, marketing, leading sales and marketing people, helping a startup scale. Why not build a personal brand around that? Um, Because if you have your personal brand, you can take it wherever you want to go with it. If you want to build your own business in the future, if you want to monetize yourself, your name, your audience, you can do that. If you want to work for a company and you have a strong personal brand, um, as long as it's a positive personal brand, uh, then it can only be a benefit to the company. So I, I really was just a big fan of that concept. Um, so I started building my personal brand, started creating a ton, ton of content, started building the podcast, starting the podcast, uh, started a newsletter. So all like the, the basics that you have to do to build a brand. Um, and that's sort of taken a life of its own. And that has become a side hustle that turned into something that is an actual source of income outside of the actual nine to five. And uh, after that tech company that I, I was CRO at was acquired, um, I could sort of go two ways. I could just go full in on my own personal brand, but, um, I didn't want to completely remove myself from being an operator in a company. I still like building stuff. So I got a great opportunity, uh, which is where I'm at now. And I'm C- uh, CEO of a company called on me, which is a health tech company that produces transdermal patches. So it's a health and wellness company, but it's sort of a mix of CPG plus tech startup. And it was an awesome opportunity. Um, I, I really like the the mission and the vision that they have. So while I'm still building my personal brand, that has created a podcast that gets you know millions of downloads and listens I'm also acting as a CEO and building a company and I, I enjoy bo- doing both and I sort of set myself up so that I do have this personal brand um while having uh, the ability to still work and and to build something which is at least right now um, I enjoy it a lot and I wouldn't change it for the world so that's where I'm at right now.
1: Building something from ground zero is just really fun to do. I know I started my podcast, nobody was listening to it. And then once I started grinding it out, continuously posting content, continuously figuring out um, new strategies to build it, it just, it felt really good to start building something out of it, starting at nothing. Um, So I completely agree with you on that. Um, And tell us a little bit more about OnMePatch. What is its purpose in the healthcare industry?
0: Yeah, so it's really interesting. So my passion and hobby has always been fitness, but I've never really had the intersection of my passion and hobbies with my professional life. So I always worked in tech, I always worked in software companies, or actually, I used to work in telco, then I moved over to software. Um, so I never really worked with any product that was something that I actually consumed, it was usually B2B products. Um, so uh when my last company was acquired, I had the opportunity, like I said, to just not work and I could have just gone all in on my own podcast. Um, It's already making some good money um, as part of the HubSpot podcast network. Uh, But um, like I said, I don't, want to just remove myself from working. And I feel like when I have conversations with all these great entrepreneurs and business leaders and individuals that come onto my show, I feel like I can have a much smarter conversation with them when I'm speaking about things that I've dealt with in, in like, you know, last week. So when I speak about marketing things or raising money or going through an acquisition or building out a sales strategy or hiring or culture or all these like great business topics that are important, like I can speak from a, a place of knowing because I've dealt with it and I've f- tried to figure it out or've I've been working with an expert who's great in one particular part of building a business or raising money or scaling or growth or whatever. So I still like working. So for me, um, on me is uh, we're a venture backed startup that's focused on anything you take in a pill right now it can be delivered into your body through a patch. So it's a novel form of delivery. It's something that really hasn't been explored yet. Um, And the reason why it meant so much to me is because I always focused on, you know, getting the best sleep, getting the most energy, getting the most productivity, Um, and all these things, there's usually like a supplement or a pill or a powder that says it can help you, but there's so much filler and there's so much garbage in a lot of these products. And I really just thought that there was no other alternative. You know, if you've ever cared about health or wellness and you go to like a, my God, a GNC or something like that, like there's a million and one products that can help any part of your life. Right. But a lot of this stuff does have a lot of extra filler. And I also know that a lot of this stuff is full of garbage. So when I first learned about this company, um, it was like. A light bulb moment because it's a new tech, a new method of delivery that gets rid of all the garbage that's in these products. It delivers the, the the vitamins, the ingredients, the botanicals, whatever it is you're trying to get out of that, out of this patch. Normally you take it in a pill, you just take it in a patch, you stick it on your skin. So it's a revolutionary way of actually delivering these ingredients into your body. That resonates with me because I was somebody who tried every supplement, every pill, everything from like a GNC, a health store. Like, so for me, this is great, and this is a this is a novel way to to get these vitamins into your body. And I feel like this is something that could be uh, not only it's a it's a great team, it's a great opportunity. You know, they trusted me to build their company. They gave me the CEO role, which I'm very grateful for. But I really do believe it could be a category that could replace traditional supplementation and pills. And when you are, when you have the mindset of, okay, I'm comfortable building a startup. I know how to find product market fit. I know how to scale. I know how to develop demand. And you have a product that is defining, that could define or create a new category. And that would be, if successful, and I hope that we are successful, that would be an enormous career win for me. It would be great for the health and wellness industry. Like there's so many, positives that come out of it. Um, and I feel like my experience could add like tremendous value to the company. And obviously, you know, the investors and the board felt the same. So that's that's where I'm at now. And that's why I signed up. So I'm still an operator. I'm still working and I'm still building this company from the ground up using many of the same principles that I've used to build SaaS companies from the ground up, obviously with added caveats that it's like a, it's like a D2C CPG brand. So there's other things you have to think about that are a little bit more complicated than, um, than a SaaS company. But you know, I have a great team. Um, I know how to find talent. I know I know what I don't know. So um, I'm super
1: excited. And that's where I'm at right now, along with all the podcast stuff. And in regards to millennials nowadays and the younger generation, we're starting to see a lot more um, thinking towards transparency, um, mm-hmm. rather, whether that's regards to climate change and uh, products regards to that matter, or it's what's in your food, we're starting to see a a lot of that throughout multiple different industries and I think when you we haven't seen much of any of that in the healthcare sector and I think that could be a target at audience at um, but what do you think?
0: I, I 100% agree so part of our part of our marketing and our branding and our messaging is is that we are transparent like we' we're the, we're the we're the clear choice and you know it's a play on words because our patches are quite literally clear but when we list the ingredients on our patch, like we have lab reports you know third party lab reports that show that if we say there's 25 milligrams of caffeine in a patch somebody's verified that that's the exact amount of that ingredient in a patch and there's nothing else there like there's nothing else that you put into your body except what's exactly listed on the packaging which is if you if you don't look at like your pill bottles or whatever then it may not make sense to you but if you are conscious of this stuff and if you have even like walked into like a vitamin aisle at Walmart and looked at like some of the stuff that is in some of these pills, you know that there's a lot of filler. Like there's a ton of filler and you have to have filler because when you when you actually eat something, it goes through a lot of processing as it goes through your body. So the filler is it has to be put in so that it can finally get to where it has to go and do what it has to do in your body. So it can actually get into your bloodstream and provide and actually deliver the vitamins to, you know, your blood, which will end up having like desired effect. But if you if you look at all the different things that are in there, like sometimes you question like, if you know, maybe if I take like a, an Advil, like once every month, maybe it's not the end of the world. But if I'm like religiously, like if I feel like I want to take a, a multivitamin every single day, or if I want to take um, melatonin to help me go to sleep every single night, like there's a lot of excess stuff that you're putting in your body every single day. And this new delivery mechanism, technically it's not a new delivery mechanism. Like they had nicotine patches and they had like icy hot patch and there's like other products that have worked with the patch technology, but it's never been done where you could literally take anything that you have in a pill. And just turn it into a patch form which is just a much more efficient uh you know wasteless delivery mechanism so again it, it we don't classify it as a tech company but in my mind i think it is a tech company because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of new things that have been developed to allow us to be able to do this and this is why i got excited about it so it's not just health and wellness not just a vitamin company it's like i think it's like health and wellness vitamin plus tech so it's a little bit
1: of both do you think you'll stay uh, B2C or do you think you'll also penetrate um, further into the healthcare industry with doctors and prescriptions and whatnot? It's a great,
0: it's a great question. So um, obviously right out the gate, you're going to do B2C, right? You're going to go for, well, if you're starting a CPG brand, uh, you're not even going to be doing like wholesale, like b to b to c like you aren't even going to get into Walmart day one or CVS or Target. First, you got to go. Um, like Shopify, and then Amazon, then maybe walmart.com. And then there's a whole bunch of other marketplaces that are online, that give you some exposure that you can easily get your product on. And then you'll probably go wholesale. So then you'll try and get your product into the Publix and the Kroger's and the Walgreens and the Walmarts and the CVS's of the world. And then... I do want to go B2B, but I think we have to prove it out in B2C and B2B2C environments first. Um, and B2B doesn't always mean like you're going to doctors. I know, for example, um, there's a water brand called Hint. Um, the founder of that is Kara Golden. I had her on my show and she was speaking about how I think 40 to 50% of her business is B2B, meaning she sells like large scale orders of hint water to google and to facebook so that they can have it in the lunch area of their offices so that could be another b2b play um i think that i think that be, my background is actually in b2b and not b2c or direct to consumer so i definitely want to explore that more but i also know that if you want to validate a consumer brand there's certain avenues that you should definitely take first and that's obviously direct-to-consumer through like through your wholesale and then if if we have the bandwidth which hopefully we do because we're going to prove it out direct-to-consumer and through uh, wholesale then we can invest in some you know more traditional b2b and and we can go that route as well
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And transitioning back to the podcast sector of things, um, Mm -hmm. you've had some really interesting guests on the podcast, including uh, Guy Kawasaki. So how did you get these high level execs on the pod? Because I know when I'm trying to get um, people on the podcast, I had to start from the bottom of the ladder and work my way up. But uh, what was your journey going uh, to get these types of people on the podcast?
0: Um, That's a funny question. Uh, So my background is in sales. So when you're good at sales, what that means, what it should mean is you understand how you could get somebody to react to something. You understand how you get somebody to care about something. You understand how to send an email that gets opened and gets responded to. And when I'm selling to a CEO or when I'm trying to get Guy Kawasaki on my show, there really is no difference in what I'm trying to do. So I'm trying to send out I'm trying to communicate with that person in some way. I'm trying to get them interested. I'm trying to get them to open an email or to open a DM on LinkedIn or whatever. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to in a couple sentences, immediately explain to them why they should care about what I'm speaking to them about, what pain point it solves, how I can accomplish or help them with something, what, uh, you know, what is the benefit to them. So you know, Guy Kawasaki, I just I basically used my own sales skills to get an email in front of him. And I was just basically speaking about the benefits of him coming on my show. So I spoke about the exposure he'd get, the downloads that he'd get. I knew he was starting a podcast at the time. So I figured, well, if he wants to grow his podcast, like what does he need? He needs listeners. So why not just happen to existing podcasts that already have some listeners? So it was a mix of uh, you're starting a podcast. So there's a there's a meaningful event in his life that would give him like the purchase intent or the buyer's intent to actually take action on something. And then I tied that intent to an objective that he was trying to solve for, which was getting downloads for his podcast. And that was something that I could give him access to. I could give him, of course, the ability to speak about his podcast to, uh, to, you know, an audience of podcast listeners. Um, so when you do something like that, all of a sudden it's not such a huge lift. That's why if you're trying to get listeners or trying to get a guest on your show, um, You can find people that are launching a book, like like high profile people that usually have like a lot going on. And they normally don't give you the time of day. You find somebody who's launching a book or just started a podcast. And you say, listen, I know that you're right now you have intent to market your book or your podcast or something that you just launched. I know that that's a priority for you. So knowing that it's a priority for you, I'm going to, first of all, in that email, acknowledge immediately that that's a priority for you, then show you how you coming on my show is going to help you solve for that problem that you have, which is marketing your book or your podcast or whatever. And when you do that and it's at the right time, so like you, you know, another trick you can use is you go to Amazon and you look at who's releasing a book in the next like three months or six months, and you can, you can set up your outbound sequences so that you're reaching out to the people that are releasing a book very quickly. um, You're going to have a pretty good chance of that person saying, yeah if 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 you position your own show properly and you you show them what kind of audience they're going to have access to if they come on your show there's a pretty good chance that they're going to say yes because it syncs up with the problem that they're trying to solve which is marketing their their book so it's it's just sales 101 and that's that's how i got most of the guests on um some of them are just lucky some of them reach out to me now that i have a show that like has a little bit of traction i do get some people to reach out but like true a-list people like and people that get hit up all the time you got to stand out and you got to make it worth it to them and that's it's as simple as that
1: yes yeah, uh, gary v's uh, marketing strategy is jab jab right hook you just keep giving and then you ask for something um at yeah. the end but uh you talked about sales so what was your first experience um selling how did it go and what did you learn
0: my first experience selling. So, um, taking it way back when I started in sales, I was still in university and I was selling. Um, I actually started at a company that I, I moved through the ranks at, uh, after I graduated university, the company was Bell, Bell Canada was a telecom company. Uh, one of the largest in Canada, similar to like a Verizon or an AT&T in the U S. Um, and, uh, my first experience with sales was I alluded to it before, but, a lot of it was uh, having an incredible understanding of the thing that I was selling. So when I first started, I actually was selling retail. So I actually did do a little bit of B two C when I first started. And then you move into offices and you start selling to businesses. And then as you sell more and you get, you know, you get promoted, you start to sell to larger markets. Um, but when I first started, I was in retail, like I was in one of the little kiosks or in a store in a mall rather. Um, And it was uh, if I understood the technology and the thing that I was selling better than the customer, meaning that I could answer those questions and I wasn't stumbling over my words when they're trying to figure out how to do this, that or the other with at the time was their cell phones and simultaneously, not just having like a a keen understanding of what I was selling, like an above average understanding, like trying to go into the weeds on every question a customer could possibly ask and having an immediate response and not just like uh, like a salesy response, like a well thought out, thoughtful response that was actually helpful, but also being able to uh, this is like such a cop out answer. But like I was always very charismatic. I always enjoyed chatting with people and I found that when you enjoy chatting with people, I didn't really know this at the time but when you're just a naturally talkative person and you're like a naturally like nice person and you generally enjoy speaking with people like you're going to start to ask them the right questions you're going to start to actually care about what problem they're going to have you're going to start to for example say somebody comes in they're trying to get their like grandma a phone you're going to be empathetic to what they're trying to figure out and you're going to be empathetic to the needs of that person and the grandma maybe she's not so like technically literate and when you now there's more of a formula and a science to it but at the time like just being a charismatic outgoing person you start to care you start to talk and then When that person starts hearing questions that are very empathetic, then that person starts, you know, telling you information you need to really solve the problem. But they also start to build a level of trust with you because you actually care about that person. And you'd be surprised at how far you can go in sales by just genuinely caring about the person that you're speaking with and also having like a very deep understanding about the product that you're selling.
1: Yeah, for sure. And the point about questions you made uh, was an excellent one because uh, if, you, there's, if you give like the average person a pen, right, and you try to tell mm-hmm. them to sell it to anyone, um, they'll start saying, oh, the ink lasts forever and you can click it and a bunch of random things about the pen that nobody really cares about. Yeah. But if you the way to sell that pen wouldn't be to say all the features, it would be to ask questions. Um, like what do you, just start asking questions as you mentioned, yeah. uh, any types of questions. Same thing with a dealership. If you go to, in, if you're uh, a dealer at a car dealership, mm-hmm. instead of st- stating all the facts or or specs of a car, you say, "What do you need it for?" Because then you can figure out what you need to narrow down on, um, and what selling factors you need to sell. And and if
0: you ask enough questions sales will no longer be you pushing a product on somebody if you ask enough questions the sale is going to be you and the customer agreeing that this is an actual fit for whatever it is you're trying to figure out so you know now there's actually this is if you go into like software sales and, and well, actually not, so, not software sales like any sort of company that uses um any sort of uh like outbound sales or they have like you know uh i, I have a point here what's <laughs> that uh so any company that uses like BDRs or whatnot and jumps on the phone and cold calls customers, there's actually software that uh, listens to the conversation between the the business development rep or the inside sales rep and the customer and and the potential customer, and it actually tracks you know all the things that both people are saying. It's it's called Gong. Um, there's probably others, but that's probably one of the best ones. And what it does is after the call, it shows you how much the sales rep was talking and how much the customer was speaking or talking and there's optimal amounts of the sales rep talking versus the customer talking and the whole the whole point is it will actually coach the sales rep or with the help of a sales manager that if you are speaking for such a percentage of the call and like say you're you're speaking for like 50 or 60 percent of the call as a sales rep and the customer is only speaking for 20 or 30 percent there's a really good chance you're not going to close that deal as a sales rep, the cust you know, that you are in a good spot and you know that there is a higher likelihood of a customer buying a product and it could be, uh, a, a product that you're selling to a customer in a mall all the way through to a 10 million dollar po at an enterprise level if the customer is constantly doing most of the talking with your when you're in that interaction when you're actually speaking to that person it could be on the phone could be in a dealership whatever so the whole point of this is like now there's actually data points to prove out like if you want to sell properly you have to ask questions and just shut up and there's actual tools that you know, reinforce that behavior, but at a, at at like a very basic level, like the takeaway is like, if, even if you don't have fancy tools and you're not, you know, tracking all your calls and you're not seeing, you know, what percentage of you speaking versus the customer, just pay attention, pay attention to if the customer is speaking for most of the conversation, there's a really good chance that you are selling properly because that customer is giving over tons of information to you. And that means that unless that customer is just a really talkative person but normally it means that you're asking a lot of questions that are bringing out a lot of a lot of great information that's going to give you the information you need to actually come up with that proper uh, that proper uh, solution to whatever the customer is looking for but also the more the customer speaks funny enough it's it's the more the customer trusts you because they feel like they're communicating they're opening up and to get the customer to actually open up, is a a talent in and of itself. So that's why to get to ask those right questions, to get the customer speaking more in that conversation, that's like integral to sales. Um, If you are speaking too much and you feel like you're prescribing without listening to the customer, you're like, you know, just saying over all the features, advantages, benefits of whatever product you have, and the customer like can barely get a word in, like, you First of all, you don't even know what the customer is thinking. But secondly, like there's a really good chance that you're just not going to close that deal. So I would say the number one thing, if you're just like getting into sales now, um, doesn't matter what you're selling to and who you're selling it to, like just focus on speaking less. Find a way to ask questions that allow you to speak less in that interaction.
1: Yeah, those are some excellent points. And uh, to wrap things up here, what would you say to the audience is your number one takeaway? when either trying to sell or build something up from ground zero?
0: Mm. When you're well, I would say it doesn't matter if you're trying to sell something or you're trying to build something up from ground zero, uh, I think that to be successful at either of those things, I think there is a core personality trait that I've seen across every successful professional entrepreneur doesn't doesn't matter what you're doing so the number one personality trait that i think is important and if you don't have this personality trait be cognizant of it be aware of it and try to figure out how to be more of this it's curiosity it's always curiosity it's always people that want to figure things out themselves That are the most successful so if somebody goes into a new job and they're a sales rep or you could go into a new job you could be an accountant doesn't matter what your job is like if you are waiting all the time for somebody to teach you and train you and tell you what to do there's going to be a ceiling on your success you will never get the promotion you're never going to get the role that you really could get if you are just curious and you figure stuff out if you are starting a project from the ground up, if you are building a podcast, if you're starting a newsletter, if you're posting on Instagram, like the only way to do that successfully is to figure out how to do it. And to figure out how to do it, you have to be hella curious. So that's one of the main things that I attribute to my success. I just figure stuff out on my own. I, you know, it's funny, but like I, if I can't figure it out, like I will be on Google and YouTube for hours until I can figure it out. I don't hire for something unless I have some sort of awareness of what that thing should be. So even if I'm hiring for, say I'm hiring a developer, I will still watch YouTube videos on what good looks like with that person's role, so that I have some sort of awareness of what they should be doing. Doesn't mean I'm going to develop myself, even though it's gotten to the point now where, when I was building on my own brand, I did have to learn a little bit of HTML and CSS to like build my own website. But um, I'm not going to say that I like went into like Java or, or, or really tried to code or anything. But I still like am hyper curious about uh, about what that person should do, and I will take it upon myself to go and figure out a pretty deep understanding of what that person's day in the life looks like so that I can hire that. I can hire the best possible person for that job. But that's just, that's just a habit that I've had for my roles for my, for my actual nine to fives. If I'm jumping into a new role, I was always the one that was trying to do things like way before people actually told me how to do them. And yeah, like sometimes, sometimes you break stuff. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you screw up, but ultimately it's, Ultimately, that, that behavior, that being hyper-curious and figuring stuff out for yourself always puts you in a better spot than if you're not. And definitely, if you're starting your own thing, you have to be. I don't even think it's possible to be any sort of entrepreneur without being curious. So I that would be my number agree. one takeaway.
1: I completely agree. I mean, it also teaches critical thinking um, when you're yes. trying to figure out these uh, high-complexity problems. Um, I know I'd rather, every single time, I'd rather try to f- spend... Five times as long figuring it out myself than someone telling me how to do it to save mm-hmm. time. I'd rather put in the work, put in the time to figure it out just because it's also more rewarding at the end to figure it out um, on it yourself. Is. I know I was doing you a can, math problem the other day. You can hire day. someone
0: too. You, yeah, can like you can hire someone eventually. But I mean, like, get to a, get to a, a great, a, a, at least like an above average. On, you know who's really good at this? Elon Musk is so good and yeah. he's well known for like any, any right. conversation he has with like anybody he's going to have an educated conversation with that person, even if he's never done the thing that that person is speaking to him about, which like blows my mind. And he like deals with some very bright people like, my God, look what he's done. But like that, that is what I, that's where I want to end up in the future to be able to have those types of conversations with an engineer, with a PhD, with something that I've never done, but like, I've learned enough about it to be able to speak at a level. And sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, man. What was your, what were you
1: saying? Oh yeah. I was just saying I was doing the math problem the other day. Um, and I spent like 20 plus minutes going through it. I could have just looked up the answer. Could have just looked at the answer key online, but I said, you know what, I'll figure this out. And I eventually figured it out. And then I learned something that I wouldn't have if I looked at the answer key.
0: That's it. It's you, you just did it in like a, in like a, at a micro level, but I mean, there's no difference from that to figuring out how to create a, to create a podcast to, uh, you know, editing, editing a photo, you want to put on Instagram to editing video, to hiring somebody to coding a website, like, that's, just it's the mindset. It's like this curious mindset. And it's like, it's like curiosity, mixed with like, I don't know, maybe like a little bit of craziness that like, you feel confident that if you do spend enough time researching something, you will be able to figure it out. But I think like, to be successful, you kind of have to be like a little bit crazy and like, jump into things that you're not comfortable with right away. So I I love it. That's a great example.
1: All right, everyone. That wraps it up for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Mbit Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, it would mean a lot if you dropped a five-star review down below. Um, We'll see you in the next episode. And special thanks for Scott uh, for coming on the pod. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That was a lot of fun.